Exodus 3. Let's read the first few verses. The Bible says, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, while the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet. For the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face. For he was afraid to look upon God. I want to preach this morning on the burning bush as a type of the church. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray, Lord, that you'll come down and speak to us. And Lord, we, we know that we're unworthy of these lofty thoughts. Lord, here is somebody that came in direct contact with your presence. And you had to tell him to take his shoes off. He's on holy ground. Lord, we don't take these things lightly, just like Moses didn't. He was afraid to even look at you. And dear God, when we consider our sinfulness and your holiness, our weakness and your power, we get, we get afraid. But Lord, we thank you that the blood of the Lord Jesus has made us worthy and that we can approach you boldly. But Lord, I do pray that we certainly keep reverence and fear of God, even when we have that great privilege of approaching you boldly. Lord, I pray that you'll give us some truths here to help us see the importance of the things that we're doing here as a New Testament church. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, now this is a famous story, and you heard about it since Sunday school. Uh, Moses comes upon the burning bush. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. It doesn't say, the biggest, most beautiful, sparkling bush of all time. It just says, a bush. There was nothing outstanding about the bush, and we'll talk more about that in a, bit, in a minute. Uh, there are three elements here. The Jewish lawgiver, Moses, the angel of the Lord that shows up to him, and a burning bush that would not burn up. Now, at the time, in the Old Testament, ancient days, in what we used to call B.C., they now call B.C.E. because they're pagan. It's not, uh, they didn't want to say before Christ anymore, so they say before the common era. Hey, silly, the calendar still changes at the same time. All you've done is stopped admitting that it was before Christ. But be that as it may, I'm sure that back at that time, this bush typified God's people Israel, who were in slavery in Egypt. Even today, one of the proofs, one of the greatest proofs of God's word is the preservation of the Jewish people. Malachi chapter 3, I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. The reason we still have the Jews with all the hatred of them throughout history is because God won't let them be wiped out. Otherwise, they would have certainly been wiped out or been assimilated into society as 
as the uh, people that study these things say, they uh, disappeared into ethnic chaos, <laughs> not the Jews. Why? Because God has plans for them. Amen. But since the establishment of the New Testament church, where blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, this bush can also be a good type of the church, God's people in this dispensation, Christ's church. So we'll look at it as a, as a type of these things, a type of the church. Now, first thing I want to say about uh, the burning bush is that it is, as I already said briefly, uh, unremarkable in itself. It is just a bush. Without the fire of God, the angel of the Lord on it, it would have just looked like any other bush in that area. There would have been anything different about it. And that reminds me of the church. There is nothing different about us. We're just sinful men. We're just sinful women. We're just sinful children. We're just sinful people like anybody else until God shows up. And when the Lord comes in our lives and the fire of God is burning inside of us, now we're different, but not because of anything intrinsic in us, because of God doing something in us. Amen. Luke 9, 23, the Bible says, And he said to them all, Jesus speaking, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. When there's something just uh, unremarkable in itself, like a bush, let me tell you what it does. It denies any pride in the thing itself. I mean, how many bushes have you seen? If you told somebody, oh man, I went on vacation, and guess what I saw? A bush. <laughs> Why in the world would any of us care about that? <laughs> they got bushes everywhere, man. But now if you saw a bush... With the fire of God on it, the angel of the Lord speaking to you out of the thing. Now you tell us about that. Amen. Uh, deny your flesh. There's nothing special or precious about your flesh. Tell it no. Why? So the power of God can work through it. When you let your flesh reign, the spirit it has no interest in it. The spirit and the flesh are contrary the one to the other so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. Romans 3.27, where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Uh, that bush couldn't boast. There was nothing about that bush that was remarkable. Uh, Moses wasn't impressed with the bush itself. He was impressed with what was going on in the bush. Let me read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. As a rule of thumb, the Lord doesn't, uh, the Lord doesn't choose great, beautiful, resonant speaking geniuses to use down here on earth. And of course the great passage on this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 26 For ye see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty, and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. 
So this bush is a good type of the church in that it's, unremark it's unremarkable in itself, denying its fleshy self. But the power of the thing was in the person in the flame. Now, don't think that I'm saying because a church is unremarkable in itself that I'm saying it doesn't have any power. Oh, no. Quite the opposite. There is great power in a Bible-believing Baptist church. But it's not because of anything intrinsic in us. It's because of the one who meets with us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved it is what? The power of God. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified unto the Jews a stumbling block and unto the Greeks foolishness, but unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. You take an average person, an average man, come uh, in here from East First Street here, and they just take a look, and doesn't look like much, not a big crowd here, and uh, not much anything going on that's real exciting and entertaining. And there's not a big band, and I'm not saying bands are wrong. As long as you play the right kind of music, bands are not wrong, but we don't have one. And there's not, uh, you know, great business deals going on here. Some churches, they're a, they're a big country club, and uh, people make contacts and stuff that's good for business and stuff. We don't have a whole lot of that. I remember Pastor Bill, I was thinking about him here recently. I remember him preaching one time about how, uh, hope you're not here just to, sell whatever it is you sell, like insurance. And then when he said that, he caught himself, and you know he had several hundred people there in the congregation at the time, and he said, well, I hope there's no insurance salesman here. <laughs> and then he got mad at himself for backing up and almost apologizing for it, and then he yelled and said, but if you are an insurance salesman, and the only reason you're here is to sell insurance, you'll burn in hell. <laughs> Oh, me, in the old days, they were more bold. But be that as it may, <coughs> if somebody came in here, they wouldn't think there's anything really impressive. And yet there's some people here that's praying for missionaries all over this world. There's no telling the influence the little Victory Baptist Church has. <coughs> we support several missionaries. I've kind of lost track. Is it 14, something like that, all over the world? And some doing work here in America. <clears throat> Praise the Lord for it. Praise the Lord. Uh, there are things going on that's changing people's lives. Amen. Right here in the Word of God. There's young men called to preach. There's young people wanting to serve the Lord in music here. You know, there are bigger churches that have less effect than we do with our small number. But is it because we're just so smart? We've thought up new ways that nobody else can think. No, it's only because of what God's presence here. That's the only reason. The power is in the person in the flame. I'll tell you one other thing, though. It will be despised by the world. Like I said, if an average person came in here and saw what we had going here, as well as other Bible-believing Baptist churches all over the world, uh, it would be something that they would despise. They wouldn't care for it. It's not cool. It's not the neat thing. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28, and base things of the world and things which are despised 
hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are. So uh, the burning bush is a good type of the church in that it's unremarkable to itself, uh, in itself. All right, secondly, uh, it is remote. It's off away from other things. Uh, the old uh, timers used to preach separation, and that's a great, hey. great topic. We have lost it. We have lost this idea of separation. <clears throat> this bush is where? It's on the back side of the desert. There's not a whole lot around it. Um, the church is remote by definition. The Greek word that uh, we translate church, as was so often pointed out to us in Bible school, is ekklesia. Ekklesia. Ek meaning out, ek like exit, out. Ekklesia uh, meaning an assembly. Anytime you have anything that's assembled, the um, implication is that it came out from wherever it was to be assembled together where it now is. <laughs> so uh, by definition, it's the church is remote. We leave our homes and our places of business and whatever else we got to come meet together. Why would we do that? That's inconvenient sometimes. Here's why. We think somebody meets with us. Hey. We think the Lord Jesus is here walking in the midst of the golden candlesticks. And I think we'll look at that reference here a little bit later. But the Lord called his disciples. You know what the Lord did with his disciples? He would call them apart. He'd say, come with me and let's go pray. Come with me and let's go into the wilderness. Come with me and let's go rest. John 15, 19, the Lord Jesus said this, If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth. Isn't that an interesting thing? Today, churches are wanting to be more and more loved by the world, more and more included by the world. Jesus said, I've chosen you out of the world, and the world hates you. There should be a definite part of this world, and certainly the world's general philosophy and general direction, that should hate what is going on in a Bible-believing church. That was what Jesus said. Those weren't my words. That's not my opinion. That was Jesus' words to his disciples. Acts 7.37 This is that Moses which said unto the children of Israel A prophet shall the Lord your God raise up unto you of your brethren like unto me Him shall ye hear This is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us When Moses had his church in the wilderness you know where they were? In the wilderness You know what that means? Not downtown Amen. Now, don't misunderstand. I hope you are not trying to take these things and apply them literally. I'm, I'm all for somebody planting a church in a downtown area and trying to reach the souls there. I'm not meaning it that way. I'm meaning it from a spiritual point of view, that we come apart from this world and from the desires of our flesh, and uh, we meet together to hear from the Lord. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. You start talking like this. Well, the Baptists just all, all they were going to talk about is separation from the world, separation from the world. Uh, no, that's not what we talk about. That's where we quote Scripture. The Lord says that. But as you know, quoting Scripture uh, is not popular in our and they assign that to you. That's part of being the Lord's messenger boy. You end up getting some of the hate that he had. Remember when uh, 
Rehoboam wanted to tax the people and he sent the tax guy to go get the money and they stoned him. <laughs> it wasn't his choice. He was just doing a job. You know, it was from over, over his head, but he was the one that took the stones. And when you, uh, when you preach the truth of God's word, you're going to get hit with some rocks. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and the fact that if you're just quoting God's word, it's not your opinion, won't help. Because it is an opinion that makes them so angry. All right, uh, it's remote by definition. All right, and another thing that we want to say here is uh, it needs to get remote so they can get the power of the Holy Spirit so that all can hear. Sometimes when people get preaching like this, people can get the wrong idea that the reason we come out from among them is to get in our own little compound and talk about how right we are and how wrong the rest of the world is, and that's just the end of it. No, that's not the idea. The idea is, yeah, the rest of the world is wrong, sure, but we were too. We were in the same boat with them, and we got saved, and now we're trying to figure out how to get the message to them so they'll get saved, and the backslidden Christians, so they'll get back in fellowship with the Lord. Jesus taught that. Where's my verse on this? I was looking. Here it is, Acts 1.8. But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Now how do they get out there in this world that we supposedly hate so bad and get them saved and spread the word of God and do what the Lord would have us do? Here's what they do. They come apart until they get the power of the Holy Spirit. And then they can go out and do those things. So it's remote, by definition, it's remote for the purpose that all may hear. I'll say something else about it being remote. When something's remote, it's sort of out of the jurisdiction of any government, isn't it? And the church is not under human authority. I suppose this has gotten Baptists thrown in jail and persecuted and killed as much as any of our doctrines. Because a government doesn't like when a Baptist church is not under their authority. Now, that doesn't mean that the individuals within the church could go steal from people. No, that individual can't go steal. That individual can't go kill somebody. But the church is not under the authority. Amen. Uh, that's the old doctrine of separation of church and state. And I understand that it's completely used wrong now and say they can't pray at a football game because of separation of church and state. No, that's not separation of church and state, dummy. Separation of church and state is the church can't rule over the state or government, and the, which has happened in these uh, oh, yeah. countries where the churches are so powerful. And the government can't rule over the churches. You don't have to pay taxes to the government to support some state church. That was the correct use of separation of church and state. What they have now where you can't, you're not supposedly not to be a Christian, you know, if you're in some government position, that's not separation church and state. Somebody just made that up. But it doesn't change the truth of it. Our Baptist forefathers, a lot of them, spent time in jail because they wouldn't pay taxes to the state church. Because they wouldn't do things that, they wouldn't attend the state church when it was required that you go there and stuff like that. Uh, the, the church is not under human authority. John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Who? Jesus. Amen. Uh, I do believe in some human authority, for sure. I do believe in some pastoral authority. There's New Testament scriptures on it. But 
if I, as pastor, die, Victory Baptist Church can go on just fine. Because the only thing you lose, if you lose me, is just the temporary uh, under-shepherd, as it's sometimes called. And another one will do just fine, because Jesus is the head. And he remains the head no matter what goes on. John 8, 47, He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. If you're not hearing the words of God, the problem is you don't, you don't listen and you don't recognize his voice. But a church is under the authority of the Lord Jesus, and they do recognize his voice. Because before they can be a member of a church, they have to be saved, don't they? They have to have a relationship with the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, here's Paul. Uh, certainly had some human authority in the early days of the church. And he says this, he says, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Any human authority is 100% derived from Jesus. The minute you see a human authority not going according to God, you are not to follow them. Whether that's a pastor or a government authority or anybody else, you obey God rather than men. Now, I know there's room for disagreement on a little detail here and there, but if there's anything that's real clear in Scripture, you obey God and not any, any man. Let's look at the passage here on Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene and Manan which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid their hands on them, they sent them away. So they, being sent forth by the Holy Ghost, departed unto Seleucia. The Holy Ghost is the one that did that. The Holy Ghost is the one that told them to lay hands on them. And when they were sent out, they were sent out by the Holy Ghost. Now, make no mistake about it, our authority is the Lord, we are not under human authority, and where we are partially under human authority, it is derived 100% from the Lord and the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. <clears throat> All right, uh, so the, the burning bush is a type of church, and then it's unremarkable in itself. It is remote or separated. Here's another thing. It is burning. It is burning. It, we call it the burning bush, don't we? What does this imply? Well, this implies persecution. You ever heard of people being burned at the stake? Uh, whenever you live for the Lord, and hopefully the church does, uh, you will receive some persecution. That's the fact. You Amen. will receive opposition. Not everybody's going to be all excited and roll out a red carpet for you. Uh, just be used to the fact and fully expecting that you'll have some things go against you. Here's the Lord Jesus on it. John 15, 20. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. So the Lord said, now when you go out there, know some persecution is coming and they're not going to do what you say. Now the practical person says, well then, what's the use of even fooling with it then? If I'm going to get persecuted and they're not going to even bother what I say, it's still your job to be a testimony for the Lord. And there will still be some individuals who will. 
Alright, uh, implies persecution, John 15, 25. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law, they hated me without a cause. Now, if they persecuted Jesus, I'll guarantee they're going to persecute me and you. Amen. Because Jesus was perfect and we're not. They actually have some reason for persecuting me. I actually deserve some of it for sure. But uh, they did Jesus when he didn't deserve any of it. Amen. So how much more can we know that they're going to persecute us? John 16, 2, They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. I mean, it'll get so messed up and turned around that when they're wearing you out, they'll think they're serving God doing it. Um, let's see here. 1 John three thirteen. Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. You're not even supposed to be surprised at that. You're supposed to know that going in. Before the Lord even got the disciples' ministry going good, he warned them. All right, now they're going to hate you and not do what you say, okay? So know that ahead of time. Some people are so shocked <laughs> when they find out people are against them. Is this vile world a friend of grace to help me on to God? Well, I know. 1 Peter 4.12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice, Inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. One of the ways you know that you're serving the Lord through persecution is he greatly tempers the suffering and increases the joy. And you still have his joy as you're going through it. That is supernatural. There's no other explanation. The title of that uh, painting there is As With Roses. He got beat where he didn't recover for weeks from the pain of the injuries on his back. And yet the Lord was with him, and he said it was like they were hitting him with roses at the time. <laughs> and uh, many a person uh, in jail has still had the joy of the Lord. I'm all excited about Amen. going up to Virginia and seeing that place in Culpeper where Ireland wrote, From my palace in Culpeper. When he would write letters from jail. Now does that sound like somebody who was all defeated and depressed? <laughs> uh, we live in a day where mental illness and depression is skyrocketing. Yes it is. I have a friend in another state that works at a psychologist counselor therapy office. He can't hire him in there fast enough. There is a six month waiting list. Oh. Now this is in the great northeast on the eastern seaboard where they're even crazier than they are here in the hills. <laughs> but still, if you want help up in those highly populated places in this country, there is a month's waiting list just to sit down with them and tell you how horrible and terrible America is and old-fashioned Christianity and old-fashioned Americanism has wrecked us, you know. And we're going crazier by the day. You have to get on a waiting list to go sit and talk about your problems with someone. It's unbelievable. It is unreal. Now here's the Baptists on the other hand. They're being beat and put in jail and lightheartedly writing from my palace in Culpeper. Somebody's got the victory and somebody else is defeated. It implies persecution that this bush was burning. 2 Timothy 2.12, if we suffer, we shall also 
reign with him. After the disciples were beaten in the book of Acts, it said they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. I've heard people uh, thrown in jail even over abortion protests and talk about how they were rejoicing in the jail cell because they were persecuted for trying to do something right. What a blessed thought. But it does mean you will have some persecution. All right, so burning implies persecution. I'll tell you something else. Burning implies energy. There is some energy going when you see a big fire. I love to build a big fire and watch that thing go and hear the whoosh and feel the heat off of that thing and see all that big pile of, you know, mostly wood there all of a sudden just going. Something is burning up that energy like crazy, isn't it? Let me tell you about uh, the church. It's got some energy in it. It's a spiritual energy. Some things happen because of some things going on in here. Some people are reached. Some gospel is preached. Some Christians are stirred up. There's real energy to it. Luke 10, 2. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. God give us some energy. 1 Corinthians 3, 9, For ye are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Oh, you know what the blessed thing is about working in the Lord's work? You look up and see the Lord right there with you working. That ought to stir you up. You know who's not interested in working for the Lord? Somebody that doesn't feel very close to him. We preached, I think it was last Sunday, on the prophets wanting to go build that dormitory for them to stay in. And you know what they said? Uh, come with us. And as soon as they lost the axe head, first thing they did, they went to the prophet. Oh, wait a minute. It was, bar it was borrowed. Help us, Lord. You stay close to the Lord. He'll give you some energy. Amen, that's good. You start your day every day reading the Bible, letting him talk to you, and you talking to him in prayer, he'll give you some energy. You'll want to witness. You'll want to say something for the Lord Jesus. You'll want to get some work done for him. Implies energy. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know why we don't get discouraged? Because we've seen the Lord bless us too much. And yeah, we go through lean times. That's true. I, Paul said, I know how to be abased and how to abound. Uh, Bob Jones Jr. wrote his uh, biography that time, Cornbread and Caviar. <laughs> he was used to some good and some bad. And I'm used to, I can eat steak and I can eat bologna. And you know I love them both. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I can get plum excited about a bologna or salami or pastrami sandwich. Love that stuff. But you tell me I'm having ribeye steak, I get excited about that too. <laughs> I'm real good either way. You know why? Because the Lord gives me some stuff that gives me contentment and some little detail about what I'm eating for that particular meal is just not that big a deal to me. And don't get me wrong, I really like my food. I really do. You know, I talk about chocolate all the time, chocolate all the time. And yet, Cherish sometimes makes this, what's that stuff she makes, David? White chocolate lasagna. Okay, white chocolate lasagna, she called it. But it looks to me like vanilla, it's all white. It's not the regular chocolate like I'm used to. I get plum excited about that stuff, and it's not even <laughs> chocolate. What in the world is going on here? I'll tell you what it is. Energy. Excitement. It's something happening. 
let's see, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who, what, labor in the word and doctrine. There ought to be some energy in a church. Yeah. the Lord shows up. And where the Lord's presence is, there's a fire burning. It implies persecution. It implies uh, energy. Another thing it implies. What's another thing that fire does for you if you're burning a fire at night? It gives light, doesn't it? Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. If there's a fire burning here, yeah, there's some persecution, but there's also some energy, and there's also some light going out. We live in a day that is dark. Oh boy. It's ridiculous. People don't even know how to raise children. People don't even know how to spend money. People don't even know how to eat. They don't even know how to move and exercise and be active. They just sit and watch. Dr. Ruckman had a great sermon on sitting and watching. And we just sit there looking at screens all day, oh, every yeah. day, and saying, please tell me how to think. Tell me how to think. Oh, okay. We need some energy. We need some light given out so some people realize, oh, wait a minute. Yeah, you're right. None of this does make sense, does it? Our country's falling apart. Our finances and economy is falling apart. And even when they're doing good, it ain't looking good long term. How many thinks being over $30 trillion in debt for your nation is a good idea? I mean, long term, that's going to be a problem. It implies persecution, it implies energy, it implies light. There's a bunch of things that you see when all of a sudden you hear it, hear it taught right from the Word of God that shines some light in a dark time. I'll tell you something else, though, about it burning. It is not burnt. I said it is burning, but it is not burnt. What a blessed truth. Uh, though you are going through persecution, it will not get you. It will not defeat you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. So yeah, that bush is burning, but it is not burnt up. And yes, although death is working in them, life is going out to somebody else. And yes, although they're perplexed, they're not in despair. Although they're attacked, they're not destroyed. And you know what the Lord will do? He'll just keep you going. Even with the fire burning, He'll just keep you plowing through. He has the power to do it. Or as the hymn says, the flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume. 
and thy gold to refine. When you start serving the Lord, flames will burn all around and on you. And the thing to do is just remember, God, I'm looking to you to get me through this. And just go ahead and let those flames burn on me and get rid of the dross that I need. Uh, Miss Martha was telling me just before the service, talking about some times where she'd be hurting with some of the things that she was going through physically. She'd say, Lord, don't rub so hard on me. (laughs) And then she remembered, oh, but it says, I shall come forth as gold when I am tried and purified. So those flames, they'll burn a little bit for a minute. That pain will hurt a little bit for a little bit, but all that is is the Lord pruning us and taking things off of us. It is not burnt. All right, so we said about the burning bush that it's unremarkable in itself. It's remote. It is burning. But its purpose is to draw men to God. Oh, what a wonderful blessing. When we go through hardships, when we go through heartbreak, when we go through sad times, when we go through hard times, when we go through times when we don't have much resource, the Lord is just bringing us where we can draw people to Him even better. Isn't that a blessing? Amen. The flame shall not hurt thee. I was thinking about an illustration and talked to Dad about it a little bit this weekend. Pastor Bell used to tell when I was a little boy, growing up there at Tabernacle Baptist in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Pastor Bill was originally from West Virginia, and he was up there working, and of course they worked outside uh, back in those days a whole lot more. And one time him and his mama was on one of those two-man saws, you know, where one person was on one end of the saw and the other person on the other end of the saw sawing through a big old thick log. And a bee was flying around. And he got running away trying to worry about that and they couldn't saw as good because he kept stopping. And uh, his mama said, hey, just keep sawing, just keep sawing. That bee can't hurt you. You know what she did? She pointed to her shoulder and there was the stinger of that bee already in her. It couldn't sting her. Isn't that a blessing? Let me tell you about the Lord Jesus. Let me tell you why these Baptists were able to go to jail and take those beatings and still have victory. Because they saw the sting of death already in the Lord Jesus Christ. They didn't have to take it. Oh, that bush is burning. But its purpose is to draw men to God. Why? Because He is in the midst of it. Look back at our text, Exodus chapter 3, verse 2. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Look down at verse 4. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. You know why you ought to be in a Bible-believing Baptist church? Because God is in the middle of them. Is it because they're perfect? Lord, no. We all know better than that, don't we? God shows up where people are dedicated to Him, imperfect though they are. Matthew 18, 20, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Revelation chapter 1. See, I guess I'll have to turn to this one. I won't have that note down here. Revelation chapter 1, verse 12, and I turned to see the voice that spake with me. And being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot. So it was in the middle of those seven golden candlesticks that he saw Jesus, the voice that had been speaking to him. 
Well, what are those candlesticks? Down in verse 20 it says, The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. So if Jesus was in the midst of the candlesticks, he's in the middle of the churches was where he was. That's why you ought to be at a Bible-believing church, so you hear from the Lord. But now let me tell you about the Lord. He is fearful. As much as we love him, as good as he's been to us, as loving as he has been to us, as gracious as he's been to us, as merciful as he's been to us, he's a big, strong, powerful father. And there is some fear. When uh, John saw him back there in Revelation 1, it says he fell at his feet as dead. In our text here in Exodus chapter 3, the last sentence we read was, And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look on God. We need to keep the fear of God before our eyes. It's the wicked that have no fear of God before their eyes. But our purpose is to draw men to God because he's in the middle of us. And that's an awful and a fearful thing. This is said to be the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. The Bible says the, uh, wisdom, uh, the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. It also says in another one, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. Step one, if you want to learn something, is fear God. Good point. That's why in the old days, the old schoolmasters were so stern. <laughs> I know, man, but they were. And... Uh, I would put the tests from those kids up against the tests of the kids in our schools today. Oh, yeah. They came out of there knowing advanced math. They came out of there knowing Latin, sometimes speaking two and three languages. <laughs> but that stern, stern schoolmaster, it's an awful, fearful thing. But specifically, we bring them to God through his word. In Acts chapter 6, when they're going out to do the work of the Lord, they said, we will give ourselves continually to prayer, and the ministry of the Word. You know what we do here at Victory Baptist Church? We minister the Word. We minister it, first of all, for salvation. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God. If you're not saved, it's because you hadn't heard and obeyed and believed the Word of God when He tells you, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. If you'll, if you'll just believe and obey that, that word, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, you're good. Amen. You know why people aren't saved? They, they never hear it or they don't, or they don't uh, heed it. Romans 10, 17. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. For salvation. I'll tell you something else though, for sanctification. For sanctification. Another reason you ought to be in church around God's people and the Holy Spirit of God and singing His praises and studying His doctrines is so that you'll be sanctified that is set apart for God Ephesians 5:25 husbands love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word anytime you read the word of God anytime you go to a place that reads the word of God and teaches the word of God and preaches the word of God some water is going over you and it'll wash some stuff off. How many agree that over the course of a week living out in this world and living in this flesh, we need some stuff washed off of us? Amen. Better go where the Word of God is. For salvation, for sanctification, for victory. For victory. Revelation chapter 12, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, 
and they love not their lives unto the death. 1 John 2.14, I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you. And ye have overcome the wicked one. Mm -hmm. You know what's missing in a lot of Christian lives that they used to get in the old days? Winning some victories. We have a generation of Christians that have never overcome anything. Bless their hearts. They've got a besetting sin and they never overcome it. They've got some bad habits and they never overcome it. They're too scared to do anything for the Lord and they never overcome it. They're too lazy to do anything for the Lord and they never overcome it. <clears throat> hey, there needs to be some victories in your life. For the young men especially, you need to do something you didn't used to think you could do and see that God Almighty can get you through it. You need to do something you used to be scared of or do something you used to be too weak to do. Or do something you used to be too lazy to do. And learn, I can do it. 